You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Our new series is called Jesus In. We're going to look over the next coming weeks, Jesus in the storm, Jesus in the wilderness. Today, we want to look at this theme of Jesus in the darkness and, and, and the light of Jesus. Uh, our world certainly has no shortage of darkness. Reading our news feeds easily invokes feelings of uh, anxiety, fear, worry. There are times it may feel like darkness is creeping in all around you, maybe even in your own life. Uh, and it's, it's how, uh, if that's how you feel today, uh, I want to encourage you that there's hope in Jesus and part of the mission and who Jesus is. Uh, one of my favorite descriptors of Jesus is that he's the light of the world. John 8, 12, as was uh, portrayed in that, uh, that video, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I love that picture that Jesus it says, you don't have to walk in darkness, you don't have to walk alone. I'm with you, I walk with you, I'm the light. I will help you, I will guide you, I will, I will strengthen you. It's a great promise that Jesus gives us to be the light of our lives. When my kids were little, they uh, wanted a nightlight on or a door left open, just a crack. And somehow, the darkness doesn't seem so scary when just a little bit of light can spill in. And uh, it seems like the, 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 you know, the closet door that's open is not quite as scary when there's a little bit of light in the room. And I wonder if maybe that is so true of our lives that when we have a sense of Jesus' presence, of the light of Jesus, of Jesus walking with us, when his light kind of comes in and shines in, that it kind of takes away some of the, the fear and the uncertainty of the darkness that at times we can sense around us. My hope today is that Jesus will shine in your lives where you need him the most. I want to take a look at the, the, the main scripture today is the opening part of the Gospel of John. It's a great prophetic reference, Christological reference to Jesus as the Word, and the beginning was the Word. And uh, the first five verses of John or of chapter one are great. And I want to look at uh, the fifth chapter, uh, the fifth verse. It's in uh, the NLT is the version that I normally use. It says this: uh, "The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it." This is speaking of Jesus, the prophetic reference of Jesus that the light shines in the darkness. This is a prophetic reference to the ministry of Jesus. The Greek wording used for darkness speaks of the darkness of the presence of hell, powers of hell, powers of the enemy, darkness, spiritual stuff that we talked about even last week, that when the darkness comes, that Jesus shines in that darkness. It's also a prophetic reference to the work that we would call that in our, in our theology, the Christus Victor approach, Christ the Victor. And what it is, is it's this. It's that the way Jesus overcomes the darkness, the way Jesus overcomes the power of sin and death and all these kinds of things, is it happens through the cross. And so when it says that uh, Jesus is the light in the darkness, it is also a prophetic reference to Jesus 
on the cross, hanging on the cross, when the gospels, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they tell us in uh, John, uh, it doesn't contain this wording, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptic gospels contain, uh, uh, they, they contain this idea and this picture of the world going dark from noon to three in the afternoon. When Jesus is on the cross, when he be, is breathing his last, when he's the weakest he is, when the disciples are gathered around, his followers are gathered around, they're probably discouraged, they're in dismay, there's what's going on, how can this happen, how can Jesus be dying? And, he, and, and as he's hanging on the cross and he gets weaker and weaker, the skies grow dark. And then he breathes his last, just as darkness is completely set in. And of course, when we read this and it says that, that Jesus is the light in the darkness, the darkness can never extinguish it. It is a prophetic reference to saying Jesus is the light in the darkness. It's a prophetic reference right to that very moment. Pastor Will at Evangel, one of our, our partner churches, shares a story of a little church that they support in Guatemala. It's located under a, a bridge uh, at the bottom of a deep ravine, a very high bridge, a little tiny church, very simple that they support. And as they were visiting it on one of their missions trips, they, they, uh, uh, it began to get dark as they were there. And as they were there and it began to get dark, the locals said, do you see further down in the ravine? Don't go there. In the darkness, especially, don't go down there because it's the worst of the worst of the worst neighborhood. It's the place that is run by uh, drug lords and warlords and thugs. It's the place where everybody avoids. It's the place where the police won't even go in. There's no patrols, there's no police presence for fear of their own safety. Don't go in there. And so as they're, they're visiting this church and the dark sky kind of comes and darkness falls upon the valley, upon this ravine, and they begin to see little tiny lights, fires, and little dim lights from some of the shacks begin to pop up into the night sky. Pastor Will says, I'm looking down over all this spread, and right in the middle is this illuminated building with a high raised tower and a cross lit up. And says, we're looking down at this valley of the darkest place, the worst place, and right there in the middle is this representation of Jesus, the light in the darkness. And he said it was so powerful for the team as an illustration, as an example, as a, this, this symbolic act of the significance of the cross, that Jesus can always be seen in the darkness. He's always there. Jesus shines the brightest in the darkness. When it feels like life is unbearable, when financial and work difficulties come, when health and family problems come, when you face testing and trials, when spiritual warfare pushes against you, when it feels like the darkness closes in, the promise is that the light of Jesus is there. The promise is that Jesus is the light and we don't have to walk alone. We don't have to walk in darkness. Let these not be empty words today. The darker it gets, the brighter Jesus shines. He is about going into the dark places, bringing his light, bringing his presence. He is the light of the world. The second half of John 1.5, which says the, the light shines in the darkness, says the darkness cannot extinguish it. Jesus overcomes the darkness. 
I love that. Jesus is the light and the darkness cannot extinguish it, can't, can't snuff it out, can't shut it off. The NIV says Jesus is the light and the darkness cannot overcome him. Jesus overcomes the darkness. It's both a profound truth and the second part of the prophetic declaration of Jesus being on the cross, the work of the cross, and this idea of the Christus Victor Jesus that we believe in. Because as the darkness fell and Jesus breathed his last, the powers of hell did not win. The Roman soldiers did not win. Those who were accusing Jesus did not win. Because what we believe and what we follow is that the darkness did not stay. Jesus rose from the dead and he overcame the powers of sin and darkness and death. And he set us free. Because the darkness can come, but the darkness cannot extinguish the light of Jesus. Rusty Woomer grew up as a poor kid in South Carolina in the 1950s. He was raised by an alcoholic father who beat him daily. He was stuck in a cycle of abuse and poverty. He had no way to get out. And by the time Rusty was old enough to get out on his own, he turned to a life of violence and crime to survive. No education, no start in life seemed like the only thing he could do. In 1979, Rusty and a friend robbed a store. Rusty ended up shooting the employee, killing the, killing the clerk, and they only got a handful of coins out of the bottom of the drawer. They went on to pick a house at random to burglarize, and Rusty ended up shooting the two occupants and killing them that lived in the home, only to steal a few items from the home. And as their rampage continued, they robbed a convenience store. They kidnapped the two female clerks, raped them, shot them, killed them, and... Eventually, the police caught up to Rusty Woomer and his accomplice. His accomplice turned his gun on himself. Rusty surrendered. And he was sent to prison, sent to death row in prison. Bob McAllister was the prison chaplain at California Correctional Institute where Rusty ended up. In October of 1985, Bob was visiting prisoners on death row when he walked by Rusty's cell. Bob says the smell, the scent, the stench, the nauseating smell from the cell was so overwhelming, it, it, it caught him off guard. He was actually there to visit another prisoner walking by, and it just, it just hit him. And he looked at Rusty, who was curled up on the floor in dirty prison clothes, laying motionless amidst piles of garbage, rotten food, and pornographic magazines. Bob said cockroaches were crawling everywhere on the floor and the walls. They were crawling on Rusty himself. His face was chalk white and gaunt, his hair long and greasy, half covering his eyes, eyes that just stared off into empty space. And Bob McAllister says, the, he describes the scene as being the most accurate picture of hell that he could ever explain. The lostness, the despair, the emptiness, the tragedy, the depravity, the darkness, it had overtaken Rusty Woomer. And as Bob stopped and looked at Rusty, he found himself overwhelmed at the pain and the misery of this man lying on the cold prison floor. 
And all he could say was, say the name of Jesus. Rusty, just say the name of Jesus. He can help you. And the prison guard who was escorting Bob was growing impatient and they, Rusty never acknowledged, never did anything. This is a waste of time. And just let's hurry up and get to, the, get to the next one. And Rusty looked up at Bob through his greasy, matted hair. Bob says his lips were so dry and cracked as he began to see them form the word Jesus. And Rusty whispered the name Jesus just once. And they moved on, visited the other prisoner. About a week later, Bob is visiting death row again. And he walks by Rusty's cell. And this time, he's hit with the smell. But it's a different smell. Bob says this time it was the smell of sanitizer, of disinfectant, of pine saw, of cleaners. Shockingly, he stops and he looks, and there's Rusty sitting on his bed in brand new washed prison garb, haircut, clean, cell scrubbed clean, no porno mags, no garbage, no cockroaches anywhere. And as he sits on his bed and Bob stops and looks in the cell, he, he, he just cracks a little smile out of the corner of one of his face, just, just a, a hello. Bob doesn't know what to do, so he, he sits there and he begins to read from the Gospels to Rusty through the cell bars. Bob continues his visits, comes back weekly, and he just begins to read the Gospels and read the story of Jesus. And eventually, Rusty begins to ask questions of forgiveness and of Jesus and of his love. And can he forgive this? And can he, could he even forgive that? And, and, and why would Jesus do that? And why, why is Jesus this way? And, and over time, Rusty and Bob become friends. And Bob helps Rusty write letters to the families of all of his victims to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. If I could make it go away, I would. I'm so, so sorry. And Bob helps Rusty write letters to all of his friends. And they continue their friendship and Rusty continues to grow and to change and he becomes a completely transformed individual from the Rusty Woomer that was laying on that prison floor. In April of 1990, Rusty became the 244th person in California to die on the electric chair for those crimes against humanity. Bob McAllister says, Rusty faced his death knowing that the darkness was not winning because he had the light of Jesus in his life. He understood he could not change all of those things, but as that darkness crept in and overshadowed his life, he knew that that darkness did not win. It would not be the end of his story. There are two books written about Rusty Woomer's life. They both give testimony and glory to the transformation and the testimony and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus over his life. The devil once had a hold on Rusty's life. The darkness came in, 
But in the end, the darkness could not overcome the light. And that is the Jesus that we serve. That is the mission. That is the ministry of Jesus. When he says, I am the light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. It is that there is nothing beyond his love, his forgiveness, his ability to reach into. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is strong. And the darkness, the powers of sin in hell and the hold of death cannot hold Jesus. The third is that Jesus works in the darkness. I really like this idea that Jesus is not afraid of the darkness. He overcame it. He's not afraid of it. And because he overcame it, because he conquered the power of sin in hell and all the dark forces and all those things, because that's who he is as Christus Victor, he can go into the dark places and set people free. One of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you are not like that, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. You've heard me speak about that and talk about that, how we are the priesthood of all believers. We, we are God's royal priests. It goes on and says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I love that Jesus has called us out of darkness. And because of that, we can show others the goodness of God. It's a picture of how Jesus works in the darkness. He works in the dark places through the love of his people. He works in dark places because he empowers the church. We went through a series on the Holy Spirit. A big part of that is how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life that is a witness and a presence of Jesus in this world. Just as that little church in Guatemala is in the worst and the darkest, they're a representation of the light and the love of Jesus. And everywhere we go, whether it's death row and prisons, there is still in those darkest scenes people finding Jesus. Jesus works in the darkness. The heavy metal band Korn sold millions of albums and were filling stadiums across the globe when their guitarist, Brian Welsh, walked away from it all. He'd been living an out-of-control life full of sex and parties fueled on drug and alcohol binges that lasted uh, days, even weeks. His band was at the top of the charts. They'd just signed a $23 million recording contract. But his soul was empty. He had money, power, popularity, fame, everything he wanted, but his life was following, falling apart. And in 2005, he had a powerful encounter with Jesus. And he left it all behind him. He got clean and sober. He reconnected with his daughter he got plugged into a little church, a small little local church, nothing fancy, in Bakersfield, California, his hometown. And he focused on rebuilding his life. And for the most part, Brian Welsh lived a fairly quiet life until May of 2013. Seven years ago, almost seven years ago, and he shocked his fans and Christians alike by rejoining his band, Corn. Christians judged him. They couldn't understand how he could mix his newfound light and freedom with the darkness of the rock and roll world. What did those two things have in common? 
How could you take the forgiveness and the love of Jesus who set you free and take it back into that, that filth and that mess and that darkness? Pastors denounced him for going back to a life Jesus had set him free. Why is it that as believers, why is it we are so good at judging other people for what they do instead of supporting them and encouraging them and trying to understand? It's just a, just a thought as I was looking at this. I thought, man, why did we always, were so judgmental? Why did Brian Welsh go back to corn to sing songs about pain and lostness, to tour with bands who are the epitome, the cutting edge of representing darkness. In the time since he left Corn, bassist Quincy Arvizu, the, the bassist in the band, had also become a Christian. And when they reconnected, they discovered not only did they share a chemistry in their music and a passion for their music, but they shared a newfound mission and purpose and meaning in their life. And it was around Jesus. Jesus, who's the light of the world. Jesus, who's present in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And they felt a burden for their fans. It was their tribe, their people, lost in pain and addiction. They felt like there was no one to reach them, no one to love them, no one to reach out to them. And Brian and Quincy began to tour with Corn, and Corn began to tour again, and they began to meet with their fans before and after the concert. They began to witness and share Jesus with their fans. They began to lead them to Jesus. They prayed with them. Some of them were healed. Some of them were set free from addiction and transformation. And in the most unlikely of places and the most unlikely of moments, Jesus was working. Now I admit that it's a stretch for me. It's a, there's some things that are hard sometimes to reconcile about how does God work and is he really there and is this person really a Christian and you think it's easy to kind of think those thoughts. I wanna, in a minute, I wanna show you um, a video that is a little bit raw. But you see, Corn is not a Christian band. They play in the worst festivals with the worst bands. It's a world that glorifies darkness. But there are two Christians in the band who are living out a life as an extension of Jesus who say they feel called to bring the light of Jesus into this dark world. It's an edgy video, it might stretch you, but I think it's a, it's a good picture of Jesus working in the darkness. Are you guys ready? Ready. Everybody, come on. Everybody, I want you to pray with me, okay? I want you to say this, Lord God. Lord God. Right now, right now, we're saying that we believe that Jesus died for our sin, that he was raised from the dead for me, and that all of my past and all the things I wish I never did, all the stuff I never, ever, all the stuff that I did that I wish I didn't, that right now we're about to nail it to the cross at Calvary. 
Right now, Right now, addiction is going to be broken off of our lives. Right now, addiction is going to be broken. Lord God, forgive us of our sin. Lord God, forgive us for our sin. We're asking you right now to come and make your home inside of us. So we're taking one person at a time, and hopefully, we're encouraging you. Tomorrow's a new day, and like I said, it's hard to believe in what you can't see, but you know what? You got to believe in something. But when you know what Jesus did, that you're forgiven that much of all your dirty laundry? Oh, yeah. All that? Weeks ago, no, God. he forgives you for everything that I you've done? He does. He does. So when you realize that, it says that those who have been forgiven much can love much. Just pray. Just ask a man real quick. Can you do that? Just say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Give me the strength to do this stuff. Give me the strength to do this. He saved us, not by works we had done, but because of his mercy through his Holy Spirit. I know there's, it's a, it's a stretch to think about how, how does Jesus and the church and the goodness and trying to lead people into the goodness and how there are Christians in that scene singing those songs and I, I don't understand all of it. I don't, I don't profess to have something as complex as that all figured out and I'm not friends with those people and I don't have, I don't have that firsthand account. But I do know that Jesus says, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And I think that the hallway of a corn concert is the last place that you would expect people to meet Jesus. People that would find Jesus perhaps in those moments that maybe would never, ever, ever have that opportunity. Jesus works in the darkness. It's something that we see in Scripture. It's something we see in human history, that when the darkness is there, somehow Jesus is present. The light of the world is present in those dark places. The church is active and alive in those dark places. And it's not the organized church. It's, it's us. It's you and me. It's people. That's not the organized church that's praying for people and leading them to Jesus in the back hallway of a corn concert. It's two believers and a few others now that, that grow and they gather with. And, and it's a great picture that all of us live in a world. All of us have a sphere of influence. All of us are experiencing and living out what it means to be Jesus. And sometimes when it's difficult and it's hard, and how do I reconcile this? And, and yet Jesus, he sends us. We're his light in dark places. 
Jesus is the light of the world and he cannot be extinguished. And he calls us out of, his, out of darkness and into his glorious light so we can show others his goodness. I want to pray for you today. Two things, two kind of main areas or people. Maybe you're here today and you've not welcomed the light of Jesus into your life as we've been discussing and describing it today. Say, I haven't really kind of welcomed and opened up my heart to the light, to the love, to the forgiveness of Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today, to open your heart to Jesus, to welcome him in. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're stirred with a desire to do more in the way of showing others the goodness of Jesus, of knowing what it means to be led by him, of knowing what it means for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and lead you and empower you and to be part of his church as the light in the dark world. Pray that you will be empowered. Just in this moment, why don't you bow your heads for just a, just a moment. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads and sit in this moment together. I want to maybe give you the opportunity, if you're here today and you have not yet welcomed or opened your heart into the Jesus light. And you can do that today. We're going to just ask you to slip your hand up quickly and you can put it down. Just say, yeah, that's me. I want to open my heart to Jesus. I haven't, I haven't done that. I've been thinking about it. I haven't formalized it. You can just slip it up and put it down quickly. You don't have to hold it up for a long time. Just as a way of saying, yeah, that's me. And for the rest of us who identify as believers, I want to pray for you. And I want to actually lead you, lead us as the church together in, in a prayer this morning. And you're free not to do this, but I'm going to ask if you would repeat a prayer. I'm going to do a line at a time and just as repeat a prayer it's from your, your heart to Jesus. And just to hold your hands open maybe just open and raised up towards the sky or palms up towards as a symbolic gesture of being open to Jesus and receiving from him. And just to say this, Jesus, you are the light of the world. You called me out of darkness. And now I can show others your goodness. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Give me courage where there is fear. I give you my worries and limitations. I give you my gifts and my resources. Help me bring your light to the darkness. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.